0: Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. Glad that you could join us today as we take a look at lesson number 10. We are nearing the end and looking at a very significant subject today. We are looking at the mission to the unreached, and this is part one of two, and you're in for a real treat as we study today. So let's begin with prayer. Father, we want to thank you for being with us and guiding us through this quarter as we take a look at your mission, and our mission. And as we look at Reaching the Unreached today, we ask that you would bless us in that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And we're grateful to have with us today Jeff Scoggins, who is currently serving as the president of the Minnesota Conference, but Jeff, when you wrote this, you had a, a different area of focus. You're taking that experience now and, and bring it to Minnesota and, and other places. But you were the Adventist Mission Planning Director. Correct. So right. kind of overseeing a lot of the projects that were going on around the world that have to do with missions. Mm-hmm. So you've got a lot of experience in the area of reaching the unreached. Okay. And this quarter, this particular lesson, is talking about Paul. Give us a little overview of, of Paul and mission uh, as we kind of get started. We're going to look at several different elements here, but sure. uh, talk to us a little bit about Paul and his strategy and, and research and, and bringing the message of the gospel into a cultural context, as it were.
1: Very good. Yeah, we're going to be spending our time in in uh, in Acts chapter 17, which is specifically the, the section of when Paul went to Athens. You'll remember in the story that he had uh, been on the run, basically. Uh, he had come to Berea from Thessalonica uh, where they had run him out of Thessalonica and things were pretty good in Berea, but then some of the Thessalonians came to, to, to Berea and started making trouble for him. And so he left his companions. It was, uh, Timothy and Silas, if I remember right. They stayed there and he went on to Athens. People accompanied him. And while he was in Athens, he, uh, asked, he sent his escort back and said, send my companions down. And uh, you have to remember, of course, then that they, they weren't flying somewhere, and so that meant there was going to be some time. Right. And so, so Paul, he is stuck in Athens until his companions could get there to be with him. And so he does not stay still. Uh, Paul, Paul, you get the feeling just couldn't. And so he starts to work. He starts to do some things. And and for for Paul, um. He's not interested in just um, uh, cookie cutter evangelism. He he knows that that different things work for different people, right? And so uh, he begins to to do some some work while he's there.
0: Okay, so Paul's there. He's waiting for his companions to join him. He sees the people of Athens, realizes knows that they need the gospel. Right. What were some of the strategies that he begins to follow or employ in trying to reach this group of people that maybe might be a little different from strategies he would use elsewhere?
1: Okay. Um, the thing that I think is really critical in this story is the fact that Paul didn't just dive in with whatever he had done somewhere else. What Paul did, well, first of all, he, he, <laughs> he worked in three different ways. First of all, he went to the Jews. That would have been who he would have been most comfortable with. You know, the same people, the same dietary restrictions, all of that stuff, right? But but Paul was more mission-minded than just working with his own people. Uh, and he also, it says, that he worked with the the Gentile believers. So these were people that had already been converted, but they were still Gentiles. And so he, he worked with them. So he could have been pushing the envelope a little bit with them, but he wasn't content with that either. He was more mission-minded than that. And so Paul spent time in the marketplace among the pagans and what he was doing, we find out later in the story is he's studying them. He's having conversations. He's talking to people. He's learning about what what makes them mad and what, 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 what do they, what are they interested in and those kinds of things. And so um, he's talking to people enough that he starts to make some waves and people start to notice. And so he's, he's talking to these, these people and some, it says Epicurean and Stoic philosophers come and say, we need to hear what you're talking about. You're bringing some strange new ideas here. And so you get the feeling that he was having some fits and starts. Some people were just, who is this guy? You know, he's nuts. And then some others were saying, wait a minute, let's at least listen to him." So um, the big thing that he did was he started studying them.
0: Yeah. So he's he's learning about them before he goes to actively share.
1: Right. Well, you know, and he was sharing, but it was on one-on-one personal basis. He didn't go in and do, uh, you know, the big Oropagus meeting right at then. Not that he could, he had to be invited for that. But still, he was working one-on-one. And learning, and then we learn later. He's going around the city. He's looking at things. He's helping to understand things. Uh, you know what's happening there.
0: So, that, which becomes critical to the story later. So, getting a cultural context an exactly. understanding of the people, likes and dislikes, and weaving that into an approach, a strategy Precisely. to reach them.
1: Precisely.
0: All right. So he is invited. You alluded to that a yes. moment ago. Yes. Yes. So he's uh, he's invited to go speak at this significant place. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's probably diminishing its importance. It, it was, is. I've it's been there. It's pretty big. It's pretty awesome. It is.
1: Um, because Luke even makes the point that the, the people, the men of Athens, did nothing. He says, did nothing all day long, but uh, talk about the latest ideas. And and so and at first, you know, I used to think when, when he said that, that he was saying they were lazy. They didn't go do any work or anything. But I, I changed my mind. This is the group that produced people like Socrates and Aristotle and Plato and these guys, you know so these this was what the Eropagus was. This was philosophy at its deepest. and i've I've become more convinced that Luke was actually saying, no, Paul was going into a lion's den of sorts of intellectual um vitality. you know this was this was no. Uh, you know, elementary school type of presentation that he was going to have to be doing there. And so this is, the Oropagus is, is the name of a great big old rock outside of Athens or outside of the old city there. And you can still go and stand there today. Uh, and uh, so I can just imagine all these guys, these philosophers in their long flowing robes and long beards, <laughs> you know, uh, there to listen, to ask questions, to find out what this guy is talking about.
0: So now he's, he's gone into the city, he's mingled with people, he's mm-hmm. figured out a few things here and there, pulling, right. pulling to some, some concepts, some ideas, some strategies together. Yeah. Then he gets this invitation. Right. So now it's no longer just about, uh, I'm gonna share with this person a little bit here, share with that person right. a little bit there. Now he's being given a, a platform, yeah, a yeah, stage, yeah. as it were, to speak on. How mm-hmm. do you think that made him feel? What, what, what do you think was going <laughs> through his mind now that he's got this, this invitation to, to formally yeah. th- share his thoughts?
1: Right. Uh, I like uh, what Christian author Ellen White said about this. This is to me is key. I wrote it down here so I could read it to you. It said it had been Paul's custom in his preaching to adopt an oratorical style. Okay, Paul was good at this. He was a man fitted to speak before kings, before the great and learned men of Athens. His intellectual acquirements were often of value to him and preparing the way for the gospel. So he was skilled in what he was doing. He tried to do this in Athens, meeting false philosophy with true philosophy, eloquence with eloquence, logic with logic, but he failed to meet with the success he had hoped for. okay. His aftersight led him to see that there was something that he needed above human wisdom, even of men of learning. God taught him that something above the world's wisdom must come to him. He must receive his power from a higher source. And so um, what she's saying here is that he went in with this idea of, I've trained for this. I'm good at this. I've had success in my public meetings and such. And yet he didn't get the response he had hoped to get. But anyway, the his strategy for what he used there as he went into it is is fascinating if we study mm, it
0: yeah yeah uh, uh, certainly worthy of, of emulation to to some extent to uh, some extent you know did not to to rest solely upon that because yeah. that would be a huge mistake right but it might also be a mistake to just go into a town with proverbial guns blazing without f-
1: Precisely. Knowing
0: anything about Precisely. that culture and those people, and I've people. seen that
1: happen with disastrous results. <laughs> no.
0: yeah. It's not uncommon. You, you no. know, you see it happen both ways. Uh, yes, but yeah. but somehow Paul has managed to find that middle ground, the appropriate mm-hmm. ground um, to to learn something about the people, but but to trust in God as well. Yeah. So he has now this opportunity. Yeah. To share. Yeah. And takes advantage of it. What do you think he wished he had done? Okay. And, and, and mingle those two together a little okay.
1: bit. If we go through now, I think that that Luke did not record everything that happened at the Oropagus. He summarized. it, And so the summary is actually quite important. Uh, so if you look down uh, beginning at, let's see here, verse 19, they brought him to the Oropagus saying, we need to know, you're bringing strange things to our ears in verse 20, and then Paul stands in the midst of the Oropagus and he starts to talk to them in verse 22.
0: Now we're in Acts chapter... This is Acts chapter 17. 17, very, yes. very good, thank Acts you. Acts chapter
1: yep. 17. Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Okay, so, so look at how he starts. Does he start out saying, guys, I've been looking around and you guys are wrong. You are just messed up. No, he doesn't do that. What he does is he looks around and he sees something that the Holy Spirit can work with, and that is sincerity, okay? Maybe they're misguided. Yeah, sure they are. But he sees that they're sincere. And so he says, I see that you are very religious. So he starts off with a compliment and, and some respect, okay? So so at this point, they're, they're with him. They're nodding. Yeah, we, you, that, that is that is true. And he says, I'm passing through and considering the objects of your worship. And I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown god okay now this is this is fascinating, really, what he does here. Um, he later shows he says i 've you know read your poets and these kinds of things, and so he establishes this throughout he he's, he's finds a hook that he can he can grab onto here, and he says, "What you admit you don 't know, I know what it is, and can you imagine all these guys sitting around?" <laughs> I'm, I, I can imagine their their ears perking up. It's like, interesting. You know what this is. So anyway, um, maybe we're gonna have to save the rest of
0: that. Then. We, we might, but that's okay. That's, so that's that's a hook for you too. But don't go away because we're gonna find out exactly what Paul was talking about this this unknown God. But we've been talking this quarter about reaching people about. The, the opportunity, the privilege that we have, the responsibility that we have to reach people. And if you've been enjoying this quarter's Sabbath School lesson, I know that you are also going to enjoy the companion book to this quarter's Sabbath School lesson. It is, of course, called God's Mission, My Mission. And it adds deeper insights, additional information, uh, powerful uh, powerful resources on how to reach others for Christ and be more effective in your own witness to others. And you can find that book very easily by going to itiswritten.shop. Again, that is itiswritten.shop. Just uh, look for the book, God's Mission, My Mission. And the author is Gary Krause, K-R-A-U-S-E. You'll find it there at itiswritten.shop. We're going to be back in just a moment uh, again with Jeff as we continue looking at Reaching the
2: Unreached. We'll be right back. While you're familiar with the It Is Written television program, I want to invite you on a journey to understand more about what It Is Written is doing to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. We're going to visit India, Mongolia, Guatemala, Moldova, Zimbabwe, the Philippines, and more. Work made possible by It Is Written missions. It Is Written mission teams regularly visit parts of the world where the need for Jesus is great. It might sometimes seem like a hopeless task, a mission impossible, except that it isn't. It cannot be. This is mission possible because Jesus said, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. If you can't go there yourself, you can be there with It Is Written. Mission possible. Watch now on itiswritten.tv.
3: Hello, I'm Dr. David DeRose, a specialist in internal medicine and preventive medicine. And I've been surprised over the years in working with patients and studying the medical research literature just how powerful hemorrheology is when it comes to health. You may be wondering, what is hemorrheology? Well, I call it the Methuselah Factor, and that's the title of my book. The Methuselah Factor really helps you connect with things that can help your blood be more fluid. You say, why is that important? It's important because it can help you decrease your risk of a stroke or a heart attack, even lower your risk of cancer. But it's a whole lot more than just preventing killer diseases. If you improve your blood fluidity, your mind will work better. You'll perform physically better, and you'll decrease your risk of dementia. So don't hesitate. Dive into the Methuselah factor. Make a difference in your life and the life of those that you love.
0: Welcome back to Sabbath School here at It Is Written. We are looking at Mission to the Unreached, and this is part one of two. We're going to look at part two next week. But right now, Jeff, we're here with Paul at the Areopagus. And, and well, he's not there yet, or at least we're talking about what he's talking about here. Uh, he's talking about the unknown God. So he's yeah. talking with these individuals and he's saying, I know something about this thing you, you admittedly do not know about. So he has their attention, at least mm-hmm. we assume he does. He certainly should. And where does he go with it from here? How, yeah. where, does, where does he lead them from here?
1: The more I, I read this story and study it, the more I like it. Because um, you can tell that there's, there's something of a strategy that's going on in his mind. So he starts out, as we mentioned just a minute ago, with something respectful. You know, I, I can see you're very religious, and and he himself being very religious, he respects that. He doesn't go into the fact that they're worshiping false gods or anything like that. Um, he will later, but that's not what's happening here. He starts off with things that they have in common and and things that might pique their interest, and so he's got this this hook that that really I can imagine them thinking, okay. Whether they're going to agree with him or not, this is going to be fun. This is going to be interesting. Okay, so he has their attention. And that's key. He has their attention. So then he says, the one that you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. I'm going to tell you what this is. And then he says, he, he launches into who this God is. And he describes him. And notice what he doesn't do. This is a God who says you must do this and you must do this and you better not do this or I'm going to strike you with lightning as you know it's none of that. Those are the kind of gods that they were used to. Okay? So keep in mind here his audience is steeped in Greek mythology and probably a lot of the listeners have have read some of these, you know, these weird and crazy immature, angry, um, bloodthirsty gods, you know, and, and they spend all of their time trying to appease these gods. They bring food for the gods. And if they don't, the gods are going to starve. And if the gods are, get upset with them, they're going to strike them with diseases or whatever it may be, right? And so he introduces them to an entirely different kind of god than they're used to hearing. And, and even in our culture here, we need to think about that. Because What is the God that people around, if they believe in God at all, think of our God, right? This is the the God who does acts of God, tornadoes, earthquakes, right? Or that this is the God who, who condemns such and such because of his lifestyle or whatever, you know? That's the kind of God. And Paul introduces an entirely different kind of God. So just listen to this. Listen to this. God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands now for the Athenians temples made with hands was everything the fancier the better right so he doesn't even live in a temple made with hands nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything this god doesn't need anything from us as though he needed anything since he gives life to all breath and all things. So this is a God who is giving. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and he has determined their preappointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. Okay? This is this is a powerful God. He's done all of this so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. So he's he's introducing a, a God here who does all of this but who wants to be found. And there's, you know, this is a god who cares. This is a god who is there to give to them, not them give to him. And so their minds, I can just just imagine thinking now there's an interesting god and if it's real that's something I would like to explore, right? And then he says, for in him, we live and move and have our being. And then he brings in this, more of this common ground. As some of your own poets have said. So therefore, he inserts into here. I've been reading your poets. I know what you, you believe here. For we are his offspring. Now this one makes me laugh. For we are also his offspring. Five, six words. Is that all the common ground he could find in their poets? And yet he snags it. Totally out of context but he takes it as common ground. They don't think anything of it because they're not worried about that right now, right? And so then he says, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is something like gold or silver or stone or something that is shaped by art or of man's devising, okay? This isn't a man-made God. And in the back of their minds, they know their gods are man-made, right? And he says, truly, now he's, he's starting to get deeper now. And this is, remember, we're talking about a summary here. We don't know how long Paul went on. Luke, the author, has condensed. He's taken the important points. So just imagine he's bringing them along. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Okay, so, okay, there's been a switch. Because he has appointed a day, on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man who he has ordained. He has given assurance of this by raising him from the dead. Now, put yourself there on the Oropagus. (laughs) They were tracking with Paul. Now Paul is starting to go to meddling. All right? Judgment. And then there's this, he springs this thing. This is all verifiable. You can test this. You can see it. There's proof in this guy that was raised from the dead. And I imagine a bunch of squirming going along on at the Oropagus at that point. You know, okay, we were with you till now, but people don't go raised from the dead. They don't do that, right? And so anyway, he starts off with this common ground. He introduces them to this God who they're intrigued about. And then he crosses a line. That he had carefully avoided to this point, but he knew that he had to cross it eventually and says, guys, what I'm telling you here is serious business. There's judgment coming. And if you need proof, you can find it here.
0: So he leads them up to this point. He leads them up. And they they they're along with him for a while. But then there's there's like you said, the shifting. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 not everybody tracks with him from (laughs) that point forward. They definitely do not. So, so what, is he, what does he learn from this? What should we learn from this? What lessons are there? What, what worked, what didn't work?
1: Okay, well, um, what happens here is they react in two different ways. Some scoff and say, we're done. Others say, we want to hear you again. And we know that, that he didn't have a huge success in Athens. It was pretty small what ended up happening there. But it was more than what would have happened had he come in, as you said earlier, guns blazing, right? At least it was something. At least it was something. When he goes away from the Oropagus, um, there's, here, let me just read a little bit more on this. And this is, comes from the book, of Acts of the Apostles, okay? And it describes what was happening here in some of their minds and what uh, the author here says was something that that he learned, and that we need to learn too. She calls it a the, a treasure of the church for the church. Okay, so this is interesting. The words of the apostle and the description of his attitude and the surroundings, as traced by the pen of inspiration, were to be handed down to all coming generations, bearing a witness of his unshaken confidence, his courage, his loneliness and adversity, and the victory he gained for Christianity and the very heart of paganism, all right? Paul's words contain a treasure of knowledge for the church. So, to me, that means I need to go through here and I need to figure out what is that treasure of knowledge for the church. But this goes on here. He was in a position where he might have easily said that which would have irritated his proud listeners and brought himself into difficulty. Had his oration been a direct attack, okay, we need to think about this right here. How often do we do this? We put up billboards. We do, you know, come in and and are smashing other churches and verbally, whatever, you know, like if he had done this, this does not draw people. This drives people away. And he says, if his oration had been a direct attack upon their gods or the great men of their city, he would have been in danger of meeting the same fate that Socrates did. And you remember what happened to Socrates. An Unpleasant end. An Unpleasant end. But with a tact born of divine love, he carefully drew their minds away from heathen deities by revealing to them the true God who was unknown. The treasure of knowledge to the church is this one. He would have irritated his proud listeners. The treasure of knowledge for the church is Paul avoided irritating his listeners.
0: And and she called that a major victory, which is not rocket science. It's not
1: yeah. rocket science. You're right. But
0: but too frequently we make that mistake. And I say okay. I say we in a broad sweeping I know. I know. Uh, sense. We we make that mistake and and go in and and simply stir things up if they don't need to be stirred up. They don't. Yeah. And, and many times they don't. You're but absolutely right. It, it comes back to Christ's method alone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and ministering to people, mingling with them, which Paul did. Right. And and found out some of their needs and began to help answer questions. And a door was at least opened for some people that would not have been opened otherwise. Yeah. So we haven't much time left, but give me some, some takeaways. We've, we've got a few takeaways already. A few takeaways from this story for, for from an evangelism perspective, a soul winning perspective.
1: I would prefer to leave this with the one. Hmm. And that is, when we go in and irritate our listeners... For whatever reason, it's not going to draw them to Jesus. It's going to push them away. And we need to spend our time studying the people, finding common ground, doing the things that will make us palatable to the people as messengers of the holy God that we serve, the God of love that we serve, and bring to them a God that they are going to be intrigued by. Not because of guilt or anything like that, but because they are saying, I want to see more of that. Avoid irritating our listeners and present to them a God of love.
0: So it's, it's fairly straightforward, fairly simple. I think that's what Paul learned. <laughs> and, and, and yet a, a treasury. A treasure of knowledge. A treasury. So, so here we go something that we can take away. Don't irritate others, <laughs> but show them a God that they can love, yeah. who loves them. And that's. Powerful, straightforward, simple. Yeah. Absolutely simple. Jeff, thank you for that. Thank you. And thank you for joining us this week. Next week, we're going to come back and we're going to be looking at Mission to the Unreached Part 2. You won't want to miss that one. God bless you. And we'll see you next time here on Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written.